Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the Observer's Notebook podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I am Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can help us out by donating to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, you can find us out at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this here podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, episode 111 of the Observer's Notebook. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook Podcast, and we have with us today a return visitor, Rick Hill. Welcome back, Rick. Hi. Good How to you be doing? Back. Good to be. So why don't we give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get into our topic today? Okay, well, I've uh, been an amateur astronomer since uh, 1957, uh, five months before the Sputnik launch, so I'm pre-Sputnik. Um, <laughs> And uh, been running the solar section on and off since 1982. Walter Haas had me form the solar section in 1982. And uh, I, I got away from it a couple times in there and then came back after I retired. Okay. And that's I'm where we're going to Yeah, I'm retired from Catalina Sky Survey. Uh, spent my career, last part of my career, looking for asteroids that might hit the Earth. And thank goodness you haven't found any. Uh, well, my coworker found two of them. So you know, uh, one okay. of them hit in Sudan. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Al Mahadasita. Um, it hit in Sudan, and um, they found pieces of it. Huh. They got the, some college. I, uh, I forget which college, uh, but they got the the students there, and they formed a large line of students and walked across the desert picking up pieces. Wow. That's crazy. But today we're here to talk about 
what you are in charge of with the Alpo, and that's the solar section. Yes. And I'm seeing bits and pieces in observations that, yay, we have a sunspot on the sun, something we haven't had in quite a while. Uh, right now, we don't have any. Right now, uh, we don't have any, yeah. but uh, Yeah, it's been 10, day, 10 days of a, of a lull. We've, uh, we're in solar minimum. It's a, it's a solar minimum is not a point in time. It's mm-hmm. a broad period in time. And uh, NASA, based on the data from the uh, World Data Center, um, has, has um, determined that the minimum was December 2019. Hmm. Everybody's been asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> it's been like trying to drive your kids somewhere. And um, we, we have passed it. The only way you can know if you are there yet is when you've been through it and it's in the rearview mirror. And uh, so that's it, December 2019. Now, the exciting thing is, for the solar section especially, what is the rise going to be like coming out of minimum? And there's several dominant theories on that right now. One shows a very quick rise in a few months. And the other one shows a more gradual rise over the next couple of years. And uh, it's going to be which one of those is is the, the, the theory that wins out. Um, Originally, Livingston and Penn, back in, uh, oh gosh, 2010, something like that, determined that, um, uh, that we were going to go into another Maunder-type minimum. Livingston and Penn are two solar astronomers with National Solar Observatory. Okay. In fact, Bill Livingston is one of the mentors for the solar section back in the 1980s. I knew him and when I was working there and... Uh, I would stop and see him, and he'd give us some ideas on what we could look for and what we could do of value. But they they predicted that we were going to go into a Maunder-type minimum. That doesn't quite look like it's going to happen. Now, what exactly what is a Maunder-type minimum? Well, the Maunder minimum was a period back in the 18th century when there were no sunspots. They say, well, there it wasn't that there were no sunspots. There were small sunspots, and they were infrequent, but it wasn't a complete lack of sunspots. It's just people weren't looking at the sun a lot back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, for one thing, it was dangerous. They didn't have nice mylar filters and everything for their telescopes. And probably some people did sustain eye damage, not Galileo. It's been determined that his eye damage was due to just age. Okay. It was it wasn't uh, solar observing, but in in if you go to um, I have a paper I, I give every once in a while um, called "Blinded by the Light," and um, it's it's about early attempts at solar observing, and um, there is in T W Webb's book uh, um, what is it. Uh, Celestial Objects for Common Telescopes, I believe is the title mm-hmm. of it. But in there, he actually quotes someone who suggested that with the telescopes of the day back then, that you it let the sun drift into the field of view so your eye can accommodate it. Oh, my goodness. I know. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh. 
Uh, and it, it must have been painful. I mean, you come away with tears running down your cheeks. Ugh. Um, but they were only using one and one and a half inch telescopes. But even so, uh, anything, even yeah. doing that with just your eye, there was a case that I heard of back in the 1980s again of a young girl who was on a lake. And I think it was in Michigan. And she was on a, one of these, not a raft, but it's like a little dock out in the lake. And she was trying to get the perfect suntan. So all day she'd look up and orient herself with the sun. She went blind in that one eye. Really? Uh, it, it, you don't need a telescope to do it. Right, uh, right, right. Wow. A lot of people look at the sun at sunset. Even that's dangerous. Right. Um, unless you've got a forest fire going on around you. Yeah. We, we've had a few of those here in the Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember my first telescope was a 60 millimeter refractor, and it came with one of those solar filters that you screwed into the eyepiece. Yeah, uh, there's a fellow named Dave Trot who um, does telescope. He he um, he's on YouTube. He does a lot a lot of really wonderful small telescope uh, reviews of especially of vintage telescopes. And he had one on, I was watching last night and it was a Zeiss and they had, he said, you know, they had a novel way of looking at the sun. They had solar filters that went on over the eyepiece. Okay. It's wow. con highly concentrated light at that. Right. Point. And, uh, I've had so a solar filter break on me that way. Yeah, I, I had I was using that screw in solar filter, and I looked away for a minute to draw draw the sunspot. And when I went back, I had sunlight coming out of the eyepiece. I had been looking at the uh -huh. sun so long, it heated up that filter and cracked it. I can't imagine if I would have been looking through it when that happened. Even even the pre filters that are commonly mm -hmm. used today, which are much safer, I was. Um, testing one at one time and I turned away. It was on a C8 and I turned away from the telescope and I heard tink. Ugh. And when I came back, I could see, you know, just like a lightsaber coming out of the eyepiece. Uh. Well, that's bad for those compound telescopes like that. Yeah. I've seen the telescopes, uh, Schmidt Cassegrains that have been used on the sun, projecting the sun and they all had cracked correctors. Yeah. Yeah. Because if the sun gets off that secondary, even a little bit, it's an F2. It's very near the F2 focus of the primary and it's shining on that corrector. And yeah. it, it is very concentrated. That's crazy. And I have never heard of anybody being stupid enough to do that with a Maksudov, mm -hmm. but it would be the same result. Yeah, yeah. The best filters are the ones that fit over the aperture. Absolutely. Absolutely. Block that light coming in. Yeah, I when I do public outreach when when it was when we were able to do public outreach and I would do solar observing, I would always find the sun with my telescope, put the filter on, and then pull the filter off and blow up a balloon and just move the balloon in front of the eyepiece. And the second you put it in front of the eyepiece, it would pop. And that quick makes quite an impression on young minds, you know, this is why you don't want to look inside the telescope exactly. without a exactly. filter. On. It's just like the kid burning, burning ants with a magnifying glass, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, same thing. Yeah. Um, so no, no it's, it's, it's very important. Um, yeah. And then, and when you're at a school showing 
the sun to school children, if you project an image, which makes it easy for mm -hmm. a lot of people to see the sun at one time, you have to always watch the telescope. Right. Always watch. Because right. there's going to be that one kid that's going to duck his head down and try to yep. look through the eyepiece. Exactly right. And yeah. uh, so it's, it's a very dangerous business observing the sun. It's it is. Extremely careful. It's the only astronomy that is inherently dangerous, yeah. possibly even deadly, although I've never heard of anybody being killed by it. Yeah. One, of the, one of the experiments that uh, is in my paper, again, blinded by the light, and I don't know who came up with the idea. I'd have to go back and review my notes, but um, you know the Leviathan of Parsonstown, the 72-inch that, uh, that Earl Ross had? Okay. Um, he and Dawes, William Rudder Dawes, the very fellow who came up with Dawes Limit, um, had the idea of building this eyepiece out of smoked glass and ivory and things like that. That's what they used back then. And putting it on the 72-inch to look at the sun. And I am so, I have a friend of mine in England who's been looking for any reports on the results of that experiment because uh, the, the temperature at the focus of that telescope, even oh. though it was a speculum mirror, the temperature at the focus would be greater than the temperature on the surface of the sun. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Not, that's not a very smart move. I, I think that the any report on that would be hilarious to read because I would imagine the eyepiece uh, exploded. Yeah, I'm um, sure. So I, I just, all I know is that they were planning to do that. I do have that. I got think I got that out of the reports of the Royal Astronomy or some uh, Royal. Um, um, wow. What is it? So it wasn't astronomy back then, Royal Sciences Academy or something. Okay. Um, when I was at Kitt Peak, they had those in the library there, and I was able to read them going back to, oh, gosh, I don't know, 1810 or wow. something. Um, but, uh, no, that that I, I would love to see a yeah. report on that. If it's anybody hearing this knows of such a thing, oh, yeah, please let turn you know. me on to it, please. Yeah, definitely. Now we're talking about this solar cycle. Now, yes, just sir. back up a minute. I, I seem to remember that solar cycles used to be fairly regular, but well, this this past one has not been regular in what sense? Now, in dimension, yes, yeah. they are give or take a little bit because the sun's right. uh, a friend of mine, Jim Loud, who my observatory is named after. Uh, used to begin his talk saying the sun is five things, a very big, very hot ball of glowing gas. <laughs> well, because of that, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit squishy about things like periodicity. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's 11.1 .1 years, give or take. Yeah, that's, that, that's about the figure I've heard. That's the, that's the um, cycle that we most know about. There are two other cycles impressed on top of that that are much longer, and they affect the height of the solar cycle. Okay. And uh, the one we just went through, um, it wasn't terribly unusual. Um, uh, let's see here. It had two peaks. 
uh, one in uh, 2011, 2012 in there, and another one in 2015. And uh, that's not unusual. The previous cycle had two peaks too. Okay. So um, these things happen. Um, right now, it was a, it was a not unusual, not unprecedented, but a little unusual in that it was a weak cycle. Um, the R sub I or the daily sunspot number barely topped a hundred at its peak of cycle 24. Uh, cycle 24 went from tw uh, 20 or 2009 to uh, just this last December uh, 2019. Mm -hmm. So um, that was cycle 24. We are now 100% in cycle 25. Okay. In fact, uh, Tail Ramakers, who used to be the uh, assistant coordinator of solar section, he was very busy um, observing and noting magnetic flips of sunspots as they went into cycle 25. And of course, now it's going to be the other way around. You're going to, they're almost all cycle 25 spots now. And you, you're going to rarely see cycle 24 spots as they peter out, so to speak. Okay. Now when, if, if we're now ramping up, so to speak, when would you say the predicted peak of this cycle would be? A predicted peak of this cycle would probably, again, being squishy about it, mm -hmm. uh, sometime in um, 2025. Okay. 2026, something like okay. that. Um, is it, there's a, like I say, there's two competing theories right now about how big that cycle is going to be, and it very much depends on how fast it ramps up. And uh, that's where the solar section comes in handy. We catch these spots. It's very common for the solar section to see and report a solar active region before it's professionally recognized. Really? Yes. Usually a day, sometimes okay. two days ahead of time. Um, because our people are on it. They're just busy yeah. with it. And, uh Yes, they've got satellites that are watching the sun 24-7, but uh, I, I don't know who it is that's responsible as an individual for saying this is this is uh, AR active region number 2727 mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, it's, I, I think it's more like a committee. <laughs> yeah, probably NOAA or somebody like that. Well, it is NOAA. It yeah. is that, but um, it, the individual... Ah. I don't know who it is. I used to know back okay. in back in the 1990s. I used to know that person actually. Okay. Now a few weeks ago, I saw observations and of uh, sunspots, and I haven't seen those in quite a while uh, popping up on the internet. So, well, it's been yeah. We had um, a few good spots last year, and it's petered off again mm -hmm. and uh, calmed back down. Uh, if you read my my next report that comes out on the sun, uh, it's 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 very slow. We had one, uh, only one rotation of the sun. We we tally activity in the solar section by rotations. And that's the keratin uh, rotation. Yes, okay. I find using months is is pointless. You, you're comparing February to July. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so there was only one rotation from. February 3 through 29 this year that had no spots at all. Okay. That's and the carrying the rotation one. is the sun rotating once on its axis? Yes. Okay. 
as, as measured at the equator, but Got it. Uh, um, only one with no spots at all. However, in the previous solar minimum, there were several. So this one hasn't been as, as deep as the last one. And in the, uh, the minimum between cycle 22 and 23, I don't know if there were any at all that had zero spots. Huh. That was a, um, not a very deep minimum. So, yeah, I remember years ago, I mean, any day of the week, you'd look at the sun, you'd see spots on it. And for this last, you know, last minimum, the last 12 years or so, it's really been hit and miss. Well, it, it's, it's interesting. We had a really good, powerful maximum back in, around 1990, 1991. Mm -hmm. And we've had kind of weaker ones since. This last one, as I said, was uh, substantially weaker, about half as strong as the one in 1990, 91. In that time, we've developed the iPhone, We've developed all these computers that rely on the internet. And it's going to be interesting if we have one with the flares as powerful as they uh, were in the late 1980s and early 1990s. We haven't experienced that yet. And you could have some really serious events that knock out all communications and everything because we're not hardwired anymore. Right. Right. We're going through the atmosphere. That's <laughs> Yeah. And, very, and, very, now, is there theories to why there's a solar minimum and maximum and, and the cycles? Well, I mean, the, the sun's a fluid body. It's, it's um, it, you know, they've got this gong project over at Sol National Solar Observatory that's been watched. It actually watches it vibrate uh, with a fairly high frequency. I forget what the, what it is, but it's a few times a day that it vibrates. I mean, and um, so, you know, it's, it's like any fluid body. It's got a pulsation to it. Okay. I don't think there's any stars that don't pulse at all. Um, so, you know, they, it's, it's just, what are you going, you know, variable stars, what limit are you going to put on the variability? It's <laughs> true. And uh, um, so it's, it's, it's just the dynamics of being, you know, the hydrodynamics, if you will. Of, uh, of having a star um, that, that's a gaseous body and uh, a plasma, if you will. And uh, so these, uh, what, what causes them, uh, like the, the, the uh, variability or the, the, the um, cycles that they see that have 110-year period, I think, is one of them. No idea. Okay. Okay. That's, that, why that's why, that's why we're observing. That's, that's why we're what, learning. That's why we've got all the satellites up there. Yeah. That's, and that's why this, the, the, the solar observers I've talked to in the Alpo are very passionate about observing the sun. And that, yeah, and yes and no. And now, now be being fair um, during solar minimum, we have about, 30% to 40% okay. the observers we have during solar maximum. And of course, if that Maunder minimum prediction had come true, I was kind of looking forward to buying up a lot of solar equipment <laughs> at bargain basement rates. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm a retiree after all. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, it's funny, yeah, because I, I had a H-alpha telescope. And when we started going to the minimum, I sold it. I said, well, I, you know, I don't know why. I exactly. Really need, exactly. I really don't need it. Now I'm going, well, maybe now's a good time to buy another one. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Maybe the, guy fact, sold it, maybe the guy sold it to will sell it back to me because <laughs> it's. <laughs> I, spent, I spent the last year in a wheelchair because of a uh, hip problem. Mm-hmm. And now that the hip's replaced, I'm walking, I'm fine. Good. But um, during that time, my PST, my H-alpha PST disappeared. I've got the calcium one, but I don't know what happened to the H-alpha one. Really? <laughs> yeah. Think. Well, I wasn't putting things away for a while. You uh, know, so. It's around here somewhere. I'm not particularly worried. It'll turn uh, up. But Dolores probably hit it some some sometime for me. Put it someplace where it would be <laughs> nice and safe. And it's in that place being nice and safe. There you go. Well, let's talk about the Alpo solar section. How is it made okay. up? Uh, exactly. What do you mean by that? It's kind uh, what's of a, the, what's the structure of it? Do you have you have different recorders or different? Uh, uh, we have uh, we have an assistant recorder. We have two of them. Pam Shivak. Um, she's kind of gotten sidetracked with the uh, youth section. Alpha Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, kind of stole. Yeah, that well, that that's that's all well and good. It's all good for the Alpo. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Kim Hay has stepped in. Rick Gossett left. He had other things to attend to. Um, so the the um, Kim has been handling both the individual Carrington rotation reports. Just summaries, just quick summaries on the website. She's been doing a great job mm-hmm. with that. And she hasn't been doing them for a year yet, but uh, my next report that I put together will be using some of her information from those to point me in the direction. Great. What do we want to look at? She's been doing a great job with that. And she's also handled the um, um, email list we have. Um, as with all the other sections, um, Yahoo bailing out the way they did left everybody high and dry and pretty much most everybody's uh, migrated to uh, groups.io and uh, yeah, but now by saying that, Yahoo what crapped out on this is because you had all the sections basically had a Yahoo group where right, exactly. observations would get published and interchanges between observers would take place. Now that's no longer well, a function. Yahoo had some limitations to it. You couldn't post yeah. images, which you can with groups IO, okay. which is really nice. And um, uh, yeah, Yahoo did bail out, but it's not just the, the sections that got left high and dry. Also the discussion, the general, general ALPO discussion group was a, mm-hmm. a Yahoo group and uh, the board had their own Yahoo group and mm-hmm. uh, where you could share emails and communicate. Uh, in that case, in the case of the board, you could communicate privately on issues that needed to be attended to. Right. Um, and when they, they bailed out rather suddenly and uh, we all had to migrate and I didn't really know how I was going to do that. Rick Gossett had moved on at that point and Kim just jumped right in and said, I, I can take care of this. And Fantastic. She did a fabulous job. We were up and running in, in just a couple of days. Oh, good. Yeah. So uh, I have nothing but glowing things to say about her. Um, 
of course, a lot of things in this in the ALPL solar section since 1982, dramatic changes. In fact, some of them are glaring right now on the website. Don't prowl around there too much, because <laughs> I've still got links to how to take photographs of the sun. I need to uh, change all that and modernize it. Um, because nobody, nobody I know of at all is using film anymore. Right. Uh, except artsy photographers. And so we've got a few people that are still doing sketches. People like Monty Leventhal down there in Australia. And, Good. Uh, and, um, oh, I, there's a fellow in France that's still turning in sketches. His are not only sketches, they're colored, they're painted. Oh, uh, really? So very nice, yes. Um, so there are a few people still doing hand drawings. Okay, good. That, that, that's great. And we use them. In fact, we've got um, Monty down in Australia. We've got Tony Broxton in England. And um, here in Arizona, Joe Ginanato mm -hmm. uh, has been doing um, uh, drawings of the sun. And when they do the drawings, these people combine white light and AH alpha on one drawing. Oh, which can be very useful. And those are the people that are usually catching these active regions a day ahead of time. Okay. That's it. I don't, I don't know why that would be, but they, they are the ones that that's how they get mentioned in the reports. Uh, most is, is for finding these active regions beforehand. Yeah. I was reviewing your latest report that's in the journal and there are drawings in there and that was nice to see. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, and I like to encourage and promote everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see one thing in my reports um, primarily, and that is I mentioned the individual observers as much as absolutely mm -hmm. possible. And the reason why is this is a hobby. Yep. This is an avocation. We want to encourage people, help them to grow and strengthen in their abilities, but we want to, Pat them on the back as much as possible because they're doing this out of love. They're not getting paid for it. I remember I was a kid in high school that observed a comet and sent my observation to Dennis Millen, who at that time was running the comet section, and he used it in the journal. And I was on cloud nine seeing my name. <laughs> I was like, uh, it, it gives you validation that, okay, I'm out there doing something with this telescope, not just staring at the object but i i was noting the tail length of the comet and the position angle of the comet and the magnitude of the comet and he took all that data and put it in his report and i was like it it, it motivated me to keep doing it to this day that exactly one, that exactly. first published report you know and that's uh, and it's the spirit of walter haas too that that is it's very true yeah that's that's why he he did put the alpo together was to, to help everybody grow in their observations and to share their experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so I, I would do, do that for him if not, no other reason. I've known him since 1965 yeah. or six mm -hmm. when I was a wee lad. Yes, yes. Now, what type of observations are you currently re receiving? I'm, uh, we're, we're getting the same kinds of things, <laughs> lots of blank circles, uh, <laughs> but that's valuable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. And, uh, but, uh, even with the blank circles, you go to H alpha, you go to calcium and suddenly you start picking up features mm -hmm. and, uh, 
you know, I, I use a calcium filter from Botter. It just screws on my camera. It's not a, a fancy calcium filter. And I'm still seeing things with that that don't show up in white light. Good. So you can do it on the cheap. And boy, that, that, that would be me. On the cheap would be me. <laughs> um, so um, how many telescopes do you have, Rick? <laughs> oh, I have no idea. <laughs> okay. The reason why is Dolores can't see one at a garage sale or a thrift store <laughs> without buying it, even if it's a 2.4 inch refractor. And then, then we give them away to kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to get them going. And so we've got one bedroom that's literally full of telescopes. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's kind of like collecting cats, you know. <laughs> it's kind of like collecting cats. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, we do that too. We collect uh, rescue cats. I do. So, oh, that's yeah. nice. We're down to eight. Down to eight. Wow. And before much longer, it'll be seven because one of them's checking out. Oh, that's too bad. Well, uh, you know, we gave him a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Now, does the section have uh, a, a newsletter or something that it publishes with its observations, or is it just in the journal? Just in the journal. Okay. Um, separately, we keep community. Well, we've got Facebook. Okay. We communicate a lot on Facebook. In fact, that's where we probably gotten the most new members. Is is off of Facebook. If I see an observation I like, I will tell that person. I love your observation. Please send it here. Which is the, uh, if you go to the ALPO website, you'll see there's how to submit observations, and you may simply email them to a given email address. And then Jim Tomney, who's doing a fabulous job on the website, he gets those things up there on the galleries for the different sections. And so I tell these people, send, please consider sending your observation to this uh, uh, email address. And then I say, and also consider, and then I post the, the link to the membership page for the ALPO and we've picked up members that way. Yeah. It's a little easier when there's a lot of solar activity. Right. But we're doing it maybe one a month, once at one every other month. And uh, it's hard to keep people active right now uh, as members because they, there's not a lot of solar activity and people forget, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to send my 18 bucks in for membership. Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I tell them, you know, if you want to see your stuff published in the journal, yep, you gotta you gotta be a member. Yep, that's yeah. true. And I now, love it. I love the journal having both a paper and an online copy. Because oh yeah, online copy can do everything in color. Yep, and, uh, it has links to it and everything. Yeah, all yeah. It. I think that's just just terrific. Yep. And if I wish I could have seen this happening, I started the website. For the ALPO back in 1995. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was hosted by the Lunar and Planetary Lab where I work. I remember that for years, and uh, and, and uh, I, I don't know why, what the reason was, it migrated off, but I let it go at that point. And um, but when it was doing, when we were on uh, the Lunar and Planetary Lab there, uh, I couldn't have envisioned where this was going to go. I remember there was some resistance in the ALPO to having a website. And mm. I said, oh, wow. no, this, this opens you up to so much, so much of the world you're not seeing otherwise. Yeah. And it's not seeing you. And uh, Walter was all, always for it. 
Mm-hmm. He always thought it was a good idea because Walter was big on communication. And uh, this was obviously a good way to communicate. And that's the reason for the podcast, too. That yeah, get, absolutely. Get our word out there. And, you know, that's why we have a Facebook presence and we're going to be starting up an Instagram account. So all these types of things just brings more people to the organization. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a good thing. Yeah. Now, how many contributors do you have? Ah, uh, boy, you would ask that one, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you give me a second here, I can pop up the okay. Excel page and give you a good answer. Um, works for me. Uh, it's, it's, let's see, here we go. All our observers are something in the neighborhood of two dozen. Okay. For the most recent report, probably half that number. Uh, I actually made an effort in the most recent report to uh, weed out some some of the observers that weren't observing. One, two, three, four, four. Yeah, about a dozen. Okay. Um, I'm sure it fluctuates like the sunspot cycle. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think I said as much. Um, it, it's, um, it'll pick up now. It'll start picking up. And also another thing that makes it fluctuate is when somebody comes out with a new piece of solar equipment ah. and then a bunch of people will buy it and they'll want to contribute their observations. Um, the corks, when the corks came out, we mm-hmm. got a, a little surge in, in observers and uh, I still haven't got one of those. <laughs> just, I'm sure you saw the same thing when the PST came out and. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. In fact, there's a couple of observers they're doing really remarkable work with a 40 millimeter aperture. Um, so I think the PSTs are great. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Coronado was here in Tucson when they right. started. Right, right. And uh, I knew the people that ran Coronado, but uh, now it's migrated over to Mead. I think mm-hmm. it is. I don't know anybody that works with it now. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a scope I'm thinking of picking up. Well, it's it it's an enjoyable scope to use. I had a calcium and a H alpha on one mounting. Yeah, and uh, it was very very nice, very handy. Nice. Although now I can see nothing through the calcium. Mm. That end of the spectrum has gone from my eyesight. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, it's the vagaries of getting older. Yeah, I hear you. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share about the section or the sun before we close this thing down today? Okay. Um, well, I would say that, uh, you know, if you're interested in observing the sun, certainly contact me. Mm-hmm. Um, this is our fourth minimum we've gone through since the founding of the section. And uh, right now we're running about equal numbers of U.S. and non-U.S. observers. Okay. A lot of them, believe it or not, there's a lot of solar observers in what's called the low countries, Belgium, uh, Netherlands. Hmm. Um, yeah, I know. They see the sun, what, once a month? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but there's a lot of dedicated solar observers up there. Well, when they see it out, they want to party and they want to look they, at it. So. They sure do. And uh, um, today we have better solar filters. Right. And so amateurs are getting more involved with it. There's 
a lot of information available online. Uh, you can spend days prowling around in solar websites here and in England and in Belgium. And uh, you can learn a lot there. And the professional sites are online. Like I just said, the World Data Center uh, is, is the, the one I use for the tallying of numbers. I use that instead of the AVSO, who also tally sunspot numbers. We don't do that in the solar section. We only study solar morphology. Oh, okay. This was an agreement we made with the AAVSO back yeah, in the You're not doubling the work, yeah. Exactly. It was no I didn't want them to feel like there was competition out right. there. And um, so we we deal with the morphology. We don't use their numbers for just one simple reason. There's nothing wrong with their numbers. They just publish their final number for any given rotation or any given solar day. They publish their final number much later than the World Data Center in Belgium. Mm. I can get the I can get the final number from the WDC literally a month later, and with the AVSO, it's like six months or something like that. So I wanted to keep our reporting period uh, more current than that. The current uh, report that just went to, it's about to be published, is um, goes through October, I think. I don't think it goes into November. It goes through October of 2020. That's pretty up-to-date. Yeah, that is. And so uh, that that's um, one more reason why people need to get their observations in. Don't let them lay around. I'm seeing people post things on Facebook saying, I did this picture in 2015. Well, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't do you any good now. <laughs> yeah. Now, so now are there any books out there that you'd recommend to solar observers? Well, there's a lot of them. Uh, Jay Pasikoff has, has one that has the unfortunate name of Solar Observing for Idiots. Um, <laughs> you know, it's that series of books. Yeah, okay. And, and, uh, it, but it's a good book because every topic on solar observing in it is one par. You know, everything's one paragraph. It, you, can, you can replace it in the bathroom with the Sears catalog, you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's, now it's, you're now you're dating yourself. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and I am what I am. Um, uh, so, like, it's like to tell them at the doctor's office. I was not only born in the last century; I was born in the first half of the last century. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, but it's it's a good book, and it's got all the basics in it. And if you know everything in that book, you're pretty up to date on it. Hmm. And uh, I've known Jay Paskoff for many, many years and uh, respect his writing and his work. Uh, um, he, he worked, uh, I think it was, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the, remember the name of his mentor who wrote the book on the sun. He picked up the, the, the sun book from the Harvard series mm -hmm. and he wrote an updated version of it in the 60s and 70s. And Jay picked up from him. And uh, he's he's done some remarkable work. So I recommend that book. I okay. really do. Even even though the name is what it is. Okay. Well, that sounds good. And uh, I highly recommend everybody get out there and pick up some solar filters or solar telescopes and start looking at the sun. And it solar is a dynamic. It is a dynamic object. It doesn't look the same every single day. There's always right. going to be something different on it. It's, it's not going to be the most like dynamic object in the solar system. That's right, and that's why I love the ALPA, because of the objects we look at change. 
Every yes. single time we look at them, the, even yes. the moon, the moon will change from day to day. The shadows people the don't realize that. And I'm doing a talk on that in April to an astronomy club in Long Island. And uh, the people don't realize the moon is, di- even though we've taken pictures of the whole surface of the moon, oh. every time you look, you're going to find something different. Well, and that's uh, just going back to the conference, the virtual conference we held this year. Yeah. We, we had a number of papers about lunar observing, and they got me motivated to start looking at the moon again because there's so many different programs from the from the Lunar Dome if survey. You get a copy, if you get a copy of the Lunar Observer, take a look at how oh. many of those observers are in South America. That's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so they've got a real hotbed of lunar observers down there. They do. And, um and then you've got Lena, who's doing the work on finding new lunar domes and yep. uh, uh, fantastic work. And you know, we uh, so many people think we've seen it all because nope. of because of uh, L Rock and the lunar, you know, the lunar orbiter. Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's just a it's just a snapshot, so That's to right. speak. That's right. Well, Rick, this has been a lot of fun. I will put your contact information, everything like that, in the show notes where people can go take a look at that and go hold of you if they have any questions about the sun or the section. You're going to dox me, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're going to hunt you down. <laughs> <laughs> like All right, rodent. <laughs> well, this has been a pleasure chatting with you again, Rick. All right. Good talking to you, too. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank Rick Hill for coming on and giving us an update on the solar section. Get out there and look at the sun. Safely. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. With that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moore, for their continued generous support of the podcast. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening, and stay healthy.